don't be deceived into thinking like, oh, I'm just like a logic machine. I just go wherever the logic leads <laughs> me. I'm just so rational. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I follow my heart. Hello, Internet. You're listening to Changed My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. This is my show where I talk to people who have changed their minds about big, important things. I'm Luke T. Harrington, award-winning author of fiction and nonfiction. And for some reason, I just ate an entire bar of sugar-free chocolate because apparently I hate myself. Um... So that's my latest accomplishment. Um, you know, I don't know if it was bad or just kind of quote unquote bad. Like I finished the whole thing, so it couldn't have been that bad. But I don't know. It tasted an awful lot like baking chocolate, <laughs> which is not what it was supposed to be. Um, it was a brand of sugar-free dark chocolate. It was like 70% cacao sweetened with stevia, flavored with salted caramel. I don't know how you can be flavored with caramel and be sugar-free since caramel is literally sugar. But I don't know. It was it was all right. It was very bitter and salty, just like me. Um, anyway, I got a really interesting conversation for y'all this week. Um, I recently made the acquaintance of a quote-unquote Catholic rapper, a Catholic hip-hop artist who goes by the moniker Mandala. Um, he just reached out to me via email, just kind of cold emailed me and said, hey, promoting my new album, do you want to check it out? And I am so glad I did because his album rules. Um, and then I said, yeah, why don't you come on the show? Uh, what's something you've changed your mind about? And he said, I've changed my mind about the Joker. That's right. The Batman villain uh, recently portrayed by Joaquin Phoenix, quite memorably. Um, and I said, that sounds like a fascinating conversation. Because um, it seems like everybody's got opinions about the Joker. Um, so, you know, put on rock and roll part two and dance around on a staircase because uh, we're about to talk to Mandala about how he went from evil clown rapper to Catholic rapper. I will let Mandala introduce himself. I will flip you over to our conversation and I will see you on the other side. Mandala, welcome to the show. What's up, Luke? Thanks for having me, man. Hey, I'm so glad you could make it. Uh, Mandala, for anyone who doesn't know, obviously everyone does, um, internationally famous. Mandala is the only Catholic rapper I've ever heard of, although it's possible there are others. Uh, just dropped his new album, American Pope. Great title, by the way. I mean, that pretty much like that sums it up, right? Um, and I love the cover. It's is that you sitting there in the mitre? That is me. Yes. Where, did you, where did you take that picture? That is a really cool background. 
So we actually used the green screen for that, for that album cover. Got so it. I'm not actually in that room. That actually makes a lot of sense. Um, I am actually wearing the, the, <laughs> the Pope attire, though. Yeah. Um, do we know where that background is? Is that somewhere in the Vatican or is that? I have no idea what that background is. It's not in the Vatican. It's it's somewhere overseas. I forgot what country it's in. Um I think the name of it might be like the House of Scientists. Okay. And I forgot what country it's in, but it's it's you can Google it and find out where it's at. Regardless, uh, the album kind of rules. I'm not going to lie. Quick story. Mandala reached out to me a while ago. Um, I don't know where you got my name or my address. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I was telling him, I, I think I wound up on a bunch of lists of Christian bloggers or something, even though I do very little blogging and even less Christian blogging these days. But um um, you know, I got, a, I get a lot of emails from random people and I was ready to, you know, I usually ignore them. <laughs> I was ready to ignore him. Um, but he was persistent. He reached out again and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna listen to this guy's single. And I kind of loved it. And then I was like, okay, how can I, how can I give this guy a little bit of exposure? Because, you know, got to admire the persistence and, I dig the album. I really do. I was listening to it a bunch this morning. And ever since I uh, hit the pause button, I've just been walking around going, they call me the dollar man. Kind of gets stuck in my head. And I, I'm kind of a sucker for jazz inflected hip hop, like anything, any, any hip hop with a jazz edge, like I'm there, you know, so well done. Thank you, man. But I don't want to talk the whole time. You and I kicked around a few topics uh, for this episode, and what we finally landed on was your changing relationship to the Joker, uh, which to me is just, this is a fascinating topic for a number of reasons. Um, I'm someone who is a little bit too cool for school when it comes to anything I regard as overly popular, which to me includes like Batman and the Joker and stuff. Um, but it's, there's this weird thing where this podcast has been very Joker haunted. Um, so when you brought up the Joker, I was like, that is perfect. Um, I can tell one story, right? Like, okay, perfect. Um, because this, this, like I said, this pod, this show has been just extremely Joker haunted. Um, my weird relationship with the Joker goes back probably to when the um, the J- Joker movie came out at, back in 2019, um, the Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie. And I was like, like, I didn't care because I don't care about Batman. <laughs> um, but then I, I started seeing the reactions to it and um, just how weirdly unhinged uh, so many of the responses from the media were from people who hadn't even like, seen the movie you know um and i was in this place where prior to prior to 2016 i had been registered as a democrat and kind of thought of myself as like a progressive or whatever and then just watching everyone like all the (laughs) rich white progressives kind of lose their mind during the trump years and then focus all their rage on the joker movie was like you know, this reaction of this will like inflame all the 
white incels and they'll all blow up churches after watching the Joker movie. And I was like, this is so weird. Why is everyone saying? And of course that didn't happen. Um, and then I, I, I eventually found my way to uh, the podcast Chapo Trap House. Do you know that one? No. So that is a, it's a leftist podcast. Um, essentially like a socialist podcast, I guess. Um, and it's, I, I, I'm not necessarily recommending it. Uh, I can take it in small doses. The hosts are mostly comedians and they're all very convinced of how funny they are. And I don't find them that funny, but um, I really appreciated the episode they did on Joker uh, where, you know, they were talking about how the liberal elite classes just don't have any categories for uh poor white men you know it's like they're all just racist you know and that's you know there's no class consciousness there um and i was like that's a really interesting point um anyway a few days later <laughs> i was scheduled to um record an interview with um this was someone who had originally reached out to me when i first announced the launch of the podcast you know, uh, I want, you know, I don't want to say any names. Um, she's a writer for Slate, you know. Um, and anyway, she just flaked out on me like twice, you know, and she was like, never mind, I don't want to do the show. And I was just like, okay. So then I had like two hours to kill. And I was like, well, Joker's showing and Chapo just got me really interested. And I, you know, I went, so I went to Joker instead of recording the podcast. Um, and I, you know, I was really struck by, like, I get why this movie is so popular in Europe, in parts of the world with more class consciousness, because this it, it's not like a not like a right wing movie. that's like inflaming the passions of angry right wing men. It's it's really this movie about the forgotten man, about how people are trapped in poverty and even you know the people at the top even the ones who consider themselves unlightened just don't don't care and not the greatest movie in the world but it really got me thinking and really kind of solidified me to a place where like i'm not a progressive i'm kind of a leftist i guess and anyway this show has among other things just kind of ended up being me documenting how i was solidified as a leftist um <laughs> and anyway like i don't know if that has anything to do with what we're talking about but i just um i don't know because this podcast is about my journey and what i'm learning from talking to people as much as anything um but yeah why don't we talk about you <laughs> uh, um sure so yeah i want to i want to know like i'm someone like i said i don't I'm not someone who naturally cares about like, like I'm just, I just kind of roll my eyes at comic book stuff. I just, I want mm -hmm. to see movies that are not about superheroes. You know, <laughs> there's too many movies yeah. about superheroes, but I also do think, I also do find this stuff kind of fascinating in its own way of just like these, like Batman is this character who's like larger than life. You know, I mean, he's somehow kept himself relevant to vast swaths of people for almost a hundred years now. And the Joker is, the same and it's 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 like people keep wanting to hear stories about the batman and the joker and i'm i do find it interesting to try to pick that apart and try to see if there's 
any, you know, like why that is like, is it just because Warner Brothers is very good at marketing their properties or is there more there? Um, I'm talking a lot. Let's talk about you. Um, tell me about, tell me about your relationship with the Joker. Yeah. So like a few years ago, I went through like a major meeting crisis in my life where, you know, I had graduated from college and I just didn't know what to do with my life. And I just felt so empty and felt like there's nowhere to turn. And um, I was just like having doubts about life having any transcendental meaning to it. And, um, you know, just just really uh, in a bad place psychologically and spiritually. And the Joker really spoke to me during that time because the Joker represents to me and I think to everyone just that that um, feeling that life is meaningless and therefore we can like just take pleasure or we can, you know, find amusement in the chaos that that happens in the world. I want to set the stage a little bit here. This is like, this is like when in your life, are you a teenager? You twenties? Where are you here? Um, I'm about 20 years old. Um, 22, 20 to 23. Are you in college or what's, what's going on in your life? Um, It it was mostly the end of college and then Mm -hmm. immediately after graduating, you know, Mm -hmm. 2017. Okay. Right on, right on. And you're, you go to school where? I went to the University of Notre Dame. Notre Dame. Okay. So, and this is, um, I want, I want to, I want to clarify, cause I, I got the impression you're like a Catholic convert or were you raised Catholic? Yeah. I'm, I call myself a revert, you know, okay. raised, okay, right raised Catholic. So um, did you, did you have yeah. like your parents pushing you to go to this Catholic school or? Um, you know, it just kind of, it just so happened that like I went to Catholic schools my entire life, like grade school, high school, college. Um, I can't say like it was pushed on me because of the Catholic nature of the school. Um, like my parents weren't and aren't like very pushy when it comes to Catholicism on me. And I, I don't think there was anything really deeply ingrained in me growing up. And that's why, you know, it was so easy to pull the rug out from under me when I went to college and started to be, uh, be confronted with like different ideas, atheistic ideas. And I was like heavily influenced by people like Sam Harris, Mm -hmm. um, whose podcast I would listen to. And um, yeah, so, so that's, that's where I was. Okay. That's interesting. Um, Because I think of Sam Harris, like I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm intimately familiar with Sam Harris's work, but I think of Sam Harris as someone who, you know, obviously is outspoken about his atheism, but also argues very fervently that like life can have meaning that um, morality is real. Um, So I'm just curious, how how does Sam Harris lead you to this kind of existential despair? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I don't want to put it all on him. Well, okay, let me put it this way. Is it just questioning your Catholic upbringing that leads you there? Or is it, is is there more to it? Well, no, it was, it was beyond just Catholicism. Like I, I was doubting the existence of God overall. Sure. And I would listen to these, these debates, you know, Sam Harris and these Christian philosophers. Mm. And, you know, I would, I would find myself 
like siding with Sam's arguments or at least be more more persuaded by what he had to say. So like it was a it was a questioning of everything because I felt like I had the way late clean. I had this like realization that almost everything I believed was was uh pushed upon me or not pushed upon me, but it was there because of my parents or because other people have in, had influenced me. And I just wanted to be my own man. And so I felt this, this, uh, this inclination to just wipe everything clean and just start from scratch. Like, who am I? What is a human being? Um, is there a God? What, what are we doing here? Sure. Um, yeah. Sure. Can I ask, and this may or may not be relevant, but I'm just curious, can I ask what you were studying at Notre Dame? I bounced all around, you know, I was studying psychology, uh, biology, neuroscience, then I fell on to uh, political science. That's that's what I graduated with. Wow. Okay. I was going to say psychology and biology and neuroscience will definitely set you up for despair, but I can't imagine anything better to push you into despair than political science. Um <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm going to be real honest. I don't know. I don't know the culture at Notre Dame. Well, is this a school where um, the the religion is kind of in your face or is it just kind of there in the background or you can avoid it if you need to? <laughs> I think you can absolutely avoid it if you need to. Um, I mean, it's hard for me to judge it objectively because I wasn't someone who was seeking out, you know, religious groups in college. And I know I know people who, you know, were Catholics and Notre Dame and found their niche group and were able to like, you know, cultivate their faith, faith within that group. But there's definitely, you know, places you can get, there was a lot of like agnostics, atheists when I was at Notre Dame, like sure, sure. people you talk to. So you're definitely not, I mean, maybe people would have different opinions on this, but I, I don't feel like you are alienated if you lack a beliefs or religious belief system at Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. So is this one of those things where you were able to be, you know, pretty outspoken about it if you wanted to on campus? Yeah, I, I wasn't like, I okay. kept it all in myself to myself. And like, it's, it's not that like I had fully rejected it and I was hundred percent convinced that there was no God. Mm -hmm. Um, like in my dorm, we'd still, there'd still be like masses in the dorm and like mm -hmm. I'd occasionally like go to it just because, you know, some of the guys that I would associate with would be there. And I, you kind of want to just go there just to, you know, be a part of something. But, um, yeah, I, I wasn't ever really re outspoken about it. I didn't, talk much about it okay. my doubts well let's talk more about let's talk more about the joker then um what let me start here <laughs> which de, which depiction of the joker because there are like a hundred different depictions of the joker which depiction of the joker appealed to you and in what specific ways did he appeal to you i'd say the heath ledger joker um definitely a popular choice yeah um there's that scene in the movie um where uh the joker there's that pile of money um and the joker burns it as like a representation that he has no other motive than just pure evil which i just thought was like a brilliant you know way of of displaying that mm -hmm. um 
so like i i i think like humans are drawn to perfection to to um like perfect types of of certain things if that makes sense like joker is archetypal evil like he's the perfection of evil like there's no good in him really Mm -hmm. and it's kind of like a oxymoron to say perfect evil but like (laughs) i i guess i was drawn to him because i think i i found him to be like really witty very amusing and i think like his attitude toward life made him sort of invincible like you could inflict pain upon him but to him all pain was a joke so like there was no way to defeat him in a sense all right so i was reading your um your bio on uh spotify today and i i i'm i'm think I'm pretty confident in remembering what it said. It said that you used to appear at rap battles as the Joker. Is that, is that right? Can we talk about that some? Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. The, my first experience of rapping in front of people was, well, I mean, post college was in a couple rap battles and my first rap battle I did in Milwaukee and I, I painted my face like the Joker for it. And my, my mentality going into that battle is like, I'm going to depict the Joker as well as I can in rap form. And I came up with these like crazy, um, dark, dark lines, like somewhat, somewhat humorous, some, but they were definitely something that Joker would say. And it was kind of a way that I could express my, my like inner despair like the stuff i was going through in a fun creative way mm-hmm. and um yeah i was really surprised with the positive feedback i got from that that battle but yeah i went as it i went to the battle as the joker painted my face walk these were all people that i had met online because i was posting freestyle raps online on my instagram basically and someone dm me on instagram hey do you want a battle rap so-and-so in Milwaukee and I was just like yeah definitely and so like I just showed up by myself to this event (laughs) with Joker makeup on hi I'm Mandala good to meet everyone (laughs) let me ask you this what is it about Midwest rappers and dressing up as evil clowns like why is that such a thing (laughs) I don't know man (laughs) now I have to ask are you an ICP fan or is that just Total coincidence. <laughs> no, um, I I mean, I'm not too familiar with them. Other, okay, all right. Other than that, they kind of beef with Eminem. That's really all I know about them. <laughs> More of an Eminem guy, I guess. Yeah, I, I was, I, I grew up listening to a lot of Eminem and he's definitely influenced my style a lot. <laughs> all right, um, let's, let's keep going and keep going on the Joker topic. Um, eventually you uh what 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 happens to maybe maybe turn you less i i don't know if against the joker is the right word um but like what's uh what are the where do the cracks start to show in the joker's philosophy for you <laughs> yeah well i mean so i i did this rap battle i got like a lot of positive response like people affirming my creativity and affirming the idea that like I had something to give the world or like Mm -hmm. there was a spark of something within me that was worth sharing or that people Mm -hmm. could 
relate to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, that was something that, you know, I wasn't sure about up until that point. So like, um, you know, I, I had to reflect on that, the response that I got for a few months mm. and, you know, I'm not sure exactly, you know, what the time frame is here, but like, I had this ex- experience where I kind of started to get back into Catholicism. And mm-hmm. I mean, part of the experience was going to adoration, which I don't know how familiar you or your I'm audience familiar. would be yeah. about what adoration is. It's like, you know, adoring the the sacrament of the Eucharist. And, um, you know, I, I went there with my mom cause she invited me to go and, you know, uh, we, we sat there for an hour and we like, you, you, you pray in front of the Eucharist. And, um, I had like a pretty like powerful experience there. It was like, it was really peaceful and, and it, it drew me back there, um, again and again. And I think I went there like every day for maybe a few weeks. Hmm. And, um, like, like that was, that was part of my, my journey back because at some point, during that experience of adoration uh, over those couple weeks or whatever it was, I started to like, for, I, I started to realize like, Oh, I have to make a, I have to make a decision here. I have to decide, you know, whether or not I really believe there's something like in that adoration chapel is the Eucharist, like really the body of Christ, or, you know, I just have to go back to where I was and, and in thinking that prayer is like people talking to themselves and just, um, you know, there's nothing really, there's no real communication happening between me and God. So like, I just kind of realized I had to make a choice there. Sure. Sure. Let me back up. Um, I want to, I want to talk a little bit more about the the response to, to the rap battle and maybe, uh, maybe I'll start with an open-ended question and uh, then I'll kind of, try to see if I see if I can uh, draw the meaning out of it that I that I want to let me start let me start here as you know as as someone who has experienced like sudden like sudden random outpourings of uh, appreciation for your creative work um what is that what what did that feel like from the inside like where were you like was it a good feeling were you on the verge of panicking like what 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 does that feel like Oh man, dude, it was like one of my, one of the best nights of my life. Like, like going back to my, my hotel after doing that rap battle and just feeling like a celebrity feeling like, you know, I'm going to be famous like yeah. because like the people got this on tape and everyone's like coming up to me after the show and being like, bro, you killed it. Like that was crazy. <laughs> and like the next day, you know, there are people talking about me on like a Milwaukee radio station. Right on. And like it was just like I had never experienced that kind of affirmation before. And like I had never expressed in a creative way just how how dark, how how bad I was feeling, frankly. Like mm-hmm. I, I mean my my round in that rap battle is a mixture of me like dissing my opponent in like a twisted dark way and also like expressing my own uh pain and frustration at the world so it's like a little bit of both like it's some like <laughs> some lines directed at my opponent and then some are just like you know directed i don't know just say more about me than they say about the guy i was standing in front of sure sure 
Yeah, I, I, I my experience of that sort of sudden fame or whatever is yeah. I, I, I guess I would say that you know fame is is a drug in like the worst possible sense, you know, because it's like this sudden this sudden uh, sudden high of like everybody seems to love me. Um, but then as soon as the praise stops coming in, like people, people move on with their lives, right. Go on to other things. And then there's this, there's this sudden equal sense of despair, right. Cause like this part of your brain that it gets used to the sudden praise. And then all of a sudden when that's gone, it's like, oh no, what do I do? <laughs> like it feels, it feels a million times worse than you felt before. Um, I don't know if that was your experience, but, um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know. It was such an overwhelmingly positive experience that like it gave me more hope than anything. Like sure. There was a period where I, I went back down a little bit after sure. the high of, you know, getting all that feedback, but like I held on to that, like that positive experience, not, not in a way that like distorted my reality and, and made me think that that was always going to be the response that I would get. But just like, it, it was, I don't know, after like, never really experiencing something like that it just more more so filled me with hope going forward sure. and like i i still like think back on that with with like i, I don't know it's like a very significant event and i don't i don't think that you know i was it, i was disordered to like be so high after that or something Hello, thank you so much for listening to Changed My Mind. I will get right back to that conversation you were just listening to. Uh, but before we do that, I wanna talk real quick about the Patreon. We are a listener supported show. The donations are what keep the lights on. They help me pay my editor and my executive producer. And they are what keep this sort of thoughtful conversation online for listeners to hear. Um, if you go to patreon.com slash change my mind, that's P-A-T, reon.com slash changed my mind. You can support the show for as little as a dollar a month. Once you start supporting at $3 or more, benefits start kicking in. You'll get early access to episodes. And if you support at $5 or more, you will become a producer for the show, uh, which basically means that I'm going to shout you out at the end of every episode. And also, you can come to our strategy meetings on Zoom every month if you want. You, um, don't have to talk if you don't want to. You can just be a fly on the wall and see how the magic happens uh, or see how the sausage is made, as the case may be. Um, so if you like this show and you like what I'm doing, please consider going online to patreon.com slash change my mind and becoming a supporter. Thanks again to all our listeners and supporters. I really appreciate you. And I will flip you right back over to that conversation you were just listening to. Let me let me give you my hot take on this and see if see if you agree with this. Um, if I'm in a place where I'm like, nothing means anything. There's no point to the world. Might as well just burn it all down. Or you know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that's a fair fair summary of the attitude you were describing. Um, but then I suddenly get all this praise uh, for this artistic creation that I made. I, I I suddenly see a conflict, like even if the artistic creation was about expressing my utter contempt for goodness and reality or whatever, like I, I suddenly see a conflict there of like, if nothing means anything, then this praise means nothing. 
And this, this thing I created, whether, you know, in this case, a, a really good, some really sick beats or whatever, um, then this thing I created also means nothing. And it's no better or worse than anybody else's creation, or for that matter, a pile of puke somewhere, you know? Um, I mean, is, is that, does that thought enter your head or am I like totally off base here? <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, that certainly did pop into my head, just like the inherent contradictions in the Joker's philosophy mm-hmm. and like the deep anger that the Joker feels at the same time as like trying to maintain that life is a joke, but also like him being deeply angry and me, me also being deeply angry, mm-hmm. um, you know, at the time of that rap battle is contradictory because why are you angry if if you don't believe that life has any meaning, why do you think life should be a way, should be more just, like, for example, if yeah. life, if, you know, there was no designer who mm-hmm. is just, then right. why would we expect the world to unfold in a, in a just fashion? So, yeah, yeah, I was aware that, you know, there was a contradiction there. And also, like, when I got that positive response and I started to think that my art was something worth sharing that started to clash with this idea that, you know, life is meaningless and that there's no point in living. So certainly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I guess there is that. Um, I don't know if I thought too hard about this before now, but there is kind of that inherent contradiction in the Joker himself of like, you know, if, if your attitude is life is meaningless, therefore I may as well create chaos like, why are you putting so so much effort into creating chaos if chaos is no more desirable <laughs> than order, right? Um, like, clearly, you have preferences, even if you say you don't, right? Um, and maybe, I mean, maybe, maybe maybe we can get back to Eucharistic adoration there as well. Like, I mean, if if you're kneeling in front of the host, worshiping it, I mean, you have to come around to the idea that, that, that something can have more meaning than it appears to, right. Um, that even something simple can have this deep, rich goodness to it. Um, I don't know. Does that make sense? Or is Emma, I, I, I feel like I'm not saying it as well as I should be. Yeah. I mean, the Eucharist, that, that, that there's, there's, there, there can be some, there, what am I trying to say? That there can be spiritual significance to, you know, even like very, very simple matter, I guess, is, is what I'm, what I'm trying to say. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that is, that is part of the idea behind like the Eucharist is like this, this is something that appears to be bread, but, you know, behind that appearance of bread is really the body of Christ mm-hmm. from a Catholic perspective. And um, so, yeah, I mean, th- there is like meaning behind something that doesn't appear to have any deep meaning. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure exactly how to connect that back to the Joker again, but that is, I, I see what you're saying with the Eucharist. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to pick apart your thought process here. Is as all I'm doing. Sure, why, don't we, sure. why don't we continue? Um, why don't we continue with the story, and uh, maybe we'll find our way, find our way back here. So this, um, 
this one rap battle in Milwaukee, is this the one time you dress up as the Joker and do your Joker thing? Or is there, are there further developments here? So I had done one online battle previous to the battle in Milwaukee as the Joker, where I, okay. I painted my face like the Joker and, sure. and uh, recorded a verse of me rapping in my garage. And then um, later on, after my first rap battle in Milwaukee, I did uh, paint my face like the Joker again and battle another another battler in Milwaukee as well. So, like, I, I did it multiple times because, like, you know, the feedback was so powerful to me and people were wanting to see me back. So I was like, all right, I'll do it. I was kind of I was pretty hesitant the second time because not that I was kind of I was kind of getting over the Joker, <laughs> but you know, there was, it was a really good battler who they threw my way. And, you know, I was like, I kind of convinced myself to do it. I was like, what, what am I scared to battle this guy? And so I was like, fine, I'll, I'll go there again. Um, so I did, I only did really three live rap battles, right but on. I mean, they were big deals to me. All of them, like, took a lot of preparation and um after after the last rap battle that i did i i started to transition into making music and like i had this this uh this uh period where i was really doubting whether or not rap was something that i could genuinely pursue as a christian Mm -hmm. and like because like i started to really take my catholic faith seriously and started to own the fact that i was catholic yeah and then i was like all right um i don't if i look at all the rap stuff that i've put out in the last year like it's all negative like i'm swearing <laughs> in it like this isn't sure. good energy that i that is coming from me so maybe i just need to give this up so i did give it up for like i mean maybe not uh, a few months at least yeah and then and then um then i got back into it again then i you know, then I, I met a friend of mine who has a home studio and he like let me record a track in his at his place and that like got the engine going again. I started recording tracks right on, again. Right on. You know, I was going to say, you know, Christian hip hop has been a pretty established genre since, I don't know, the mid aughts. Um, but I mean, I, at least in the early days, it was very much a reformed thing, like a Calvinist thing. You know, all the rappers were reformed for some reason. And I, I don't know why. Um, I don't know if uh, just because uh, reformed Christians tend to really like ideas and words and or maybe it was just because reformed Christianity was uber trendy in the early 21st century. I don't know. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, I I. I, I I have, this is the first time I've encountered specifically uh, Catholic hip hop. Um, you want to talk a little bit about that? Like, did you find, uh, did you find antecedents like other, other Catholic rappers that you could learn from, or, or did you, did you feel like you were just kind of inventing this as you went? I do still feel like I'm kind of finding my place. Like sure. I have to carve out my own place. That place yeah. hasn't been carved out for me as well. I'm not, um saying i'm the first catholic rapper there's there's catholic rappers out there um you know I, I grew up where um the son of the pastor at my grade school was actually a rapper mm -hmm. and so like that was like within the realm of possibility for me <laughs> um but um yeah i mean there's not 
I, I don't know if there's been like any cattle crappers that have really like made it big time. But um, yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm trying to find my space in Catholic culture. And like, I'm not sure if that space is going to be just like ushered out for me. I think I kind of have to be a little aggressive with creating it. For sure. Cause like, I don't think there's like, I mean, some of it's genuine, um, understandable, like pushback against rap um, within the, the Catholic sphere. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, I even branding myself as a Catholic rapper is somewhat new to me because <laughs> I was just Mandala. Yeah. And yeah. then I ha- kind of had this conversion. Then people started calling me a Christian rapper. And like, I didn't really like that because it kind of put me in a box and I didn't want to be expected to rap in a certain way because I, I'm just kind of telling my story and I'm just kind of like expressing my, my heart in yeah. my rap. So like, I don't want to, you know, have to be careful about what I say. Um, then, you know, I was like, all right, I guess, I guess I'm a, I'll call myself a Catholic rapper because no one knows what that is really. <laughs> and I was, I was like, it's true. It's not, a, it's not a lie. I'm a Catholic. I'm a rapper. Yeah, yeah. A lot of my raps, you know, they make references in them. So like, yeah, I'm happy to, to call myself that. Um, and like create that own that create that um the meaning what do i want to say make that mean whatever i want it to mean really going forward because catholic rap isn't a genre in the same way that christian (laughs) rap is yeah right on yeah i mean i i definitely definitely relate to um prickling at the christian label you know it's just um i i don't i don't i'm not doing this just for Christians. I'm doing this for whoever will listen, you know, but I also don't want to, don't want to shut myself off from the possibility of writing, writing or talking about religion, you know? Um, But that also makes you very hard to market, you know? I, so I get it. Um, I get it. I feel that. Let me ask you this. um, Cause I, you feel free to tell me this isn't a fair question, Um, but I really want to, I really want to hold your feet to the fire on one thing. I feel like idolizing the Joker is a very common phase that teenage boys go through, <laughs> you know, and I, I, I guess I don't know what it is about hitting adolescence that you suddenly realize the world is inherently meaningless. Um, and I'm, a, I'm also really hostile to authority. Like, I don't know what that is about. Like I've been there, you know, like I said, I, 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 it wasn't the Joker I latched onto, but uh, I've certainly, I've certainly been there. Um, so do you feel like there's anything, was there anything unique about your experience here or, or did you just go through the same phase of nihilism that all teenage boys or early twenties boys go through? <laughs> well, I hope not everyone goes through that. I <laughs> I don't think everyone does. I I think, yeah, I mean, certainly there are. I mean, there's a reason why the Joker was so popular. I personally never rejected the Christian faith I was raised in, but I did get super, super into Ecclesiastes as a teenager. You know what I mean? Um, (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, I'd say, I mean, going so far as to like, you know, personify the Joker in rap form and like, just like putting on the makeup 
And um, I don't know, like I really had to get into character there and really act as the Joker. I'm not, I mean, there's probably a lot of kids who have done something like that, but um, I mean, there's, I think there's another step that's taken, um, you know, uh, between just like looking at the Joker and being like, oh, I like that guy. He's a cool, he's a cool guy. I like his philosophy on life. Then like, I'm actually going to take a step to become the Joker to actually like wear what he wears mm-hmm. and, um, you know, say the things that he would say in, in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I hope other kids don't go through that sphere <laughs> of an identification yeah. with the Joker. Um, but yeah, that, that's just primarily what I'd say is like, I felt, I felt like I really got into that character and like, I felt like the living Joker and like, <laughs> I think the Joker is like to, to just like label him as a fictional character doesn't do him justice because as you, you were already saying, you know, the setup, this kind of, this questioning that you're doing, like he's been around for a hundred, a hundred years and people are always interested in what he does. And like, in a sense, he's more real than you and I are because like, he's like, he's influenced so many people and his like philosophy on life is very pervasive. Is that the word? I don't know. Prevalent. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I mean, that's like a whole nother discussion of like, what is real? Like, what does it mean to be real? Um, but, um, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. No, that's, I mean, that's deep. I I appreciate that. I I really do. Um, I got a couple, I got a couple more questions. I, if you, pretend I'm someone in the same headspace you were in your early twenties when you're getting super, uh, nihilistic, super into the Joker what would you say to me? I, well, I mean, it, it's all, <laughs> it, it's case by case, right? Like it, yeah. I would want to know about what you care about, you know, what, what sort of dreams do you have? What, what, what has hurt you? Um, you know, in order to help break you out of that, like I'd need to know those specifics. I'd, I'd really need sure. to get to know you. Sure. Um, but I mean, I mean, I can only, talk about like my experiences like getting out of that space was I mean the first thing I kind of did was just like follow my heart on something that I really wanted to do for a long time Mm -hmm. and just um you know if that was rap you know just just start doing what you know what you want what you want to do like Mm -hmm. I was really into Jordan Peterson um years ago too and like Mm. the guy has some good things to say when it to you know nihilistic (laughs) young men yeah and he had some good things to say to me back then and like even but i mean you know there's a lot that he has to say and we can talk about you know the positive and potentially negative effects of some of the things he has to say but like one thing that he does he's simple things that really resonate with people, you know, like stop lying. Don't, don't do anything that makes you feel weak. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's the sort of thing that that's all I need to hear. And like, I could start changing my behavior back when I was feeling nihilistic and then meaning starts to kind of unfold 
for you once you have like a goal like that like you know don't say don't do anything that makes you feel weak and then you just like live your day thinking about that there's your meaning right there that's interesting because i i feel like people tend to latch onto the joker because he seems like a strong character do you want to comment on that is there is there a distinction between like the strength of the joker and the strength of uh, I don't know, someone less nihilistic. Hmm. Well, the strength of the Joker. Well, I've kind of talked about a little bit mm-hmm. about how he kind of, to, to me, at least a couple years, a few years ago, it seemed like he was kind of invincible because he, you know, had, he thought that all was a joke. So like, he wasn't affected by pain but of course really be true because like we're humans we we do all feel pain and like you you can't i don't know it's just like the idea that one could laugh at his own pain is like i don't know how far that can really go Hmm. but um now if we take you know a more virtuous character and ask ask ourselves where does that character's strength come from? Um, I think it would a more virtuous character's strength would come out of love. You know, I mean, just just to be pretty kind of general about it, mm-hmm. it's like a, a care for another person other than themselves. You know, like you know, a character that wants to rescue a woman um, from a dragon. Or something like that, you know. Yeah, like yeah. that's that's a kind of strength that comes from from you know a, a love. Mm-hmm. And where does the Joker's strength come out of? His anger, his resentment at the world. Mm-hmm. Um so so yeah, that's that's the difference. And mm-hmm. I think love is more powerful. So like that's why we tell the stories we do and why good characters win or they ought to win or otherwise I don't think it's the true story. Yeah. Okay. All right. I want to ask you this. Um, cause I, I am curious, um, this Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie, cause this, this came out, I think, while you were on this journey. Right. Um, I, I, cause I, so I am curious, like where were you on the journey when the movie came out and did you see it and what'd you think of it? Yeah, so I wasn't really on the journey okay. um, back. I had already, I, I was already, I mean, closer to the end of that journey of reverting back and like being past the whole Joker thing. But I did see the movie. Um, I mean, honestly, it kind I was kind of uneasy um, walking out of that theater just mm-hmm. because I thought, well, I mean, like the movie, like, tricks you into wanting to sympathize with this poor man who Mm -hmm. you know is just isn't able to make it in the world because he has intellectual limitations he just doesn't have a good job and you know a lot of factors that are out of his control have caused him to be in the position he's in but then he turns into a murderer and Mm -hmm. he's he turns into the ultimate villain so like you're just like kind of feel like uneasy 
at the end, like, oh, I was just rooting for a guy who became a murderer. Of course, like you can know that going in, like, oh, this guy's going right. to end up being the Joker. But <laughs> you don't know. Yeah. I guess I didn't know to the extent that they're going to take it. Um, and then there's like all the violence at the end and like just um, the blurring of the line between good and evil is mm-hmm. something that I was concerned about walking mm-hmm. out of there and just how yeah i mean like i mean not to get overly scrupulous about it but it's just like i don't know how a lot of people will take that film i mean like i i'm not someone who's like believes in censoring art mm-hmm. or like saying like oh that shouldn't be made but like let's be able to talk about like the problems that you know might that that sort of thing could cause like mm-hmm. What, what kind of depiction of violence does it have? Right. And like, is there a redeem, redeem character in it who is kind of the hero who can give us an example of what good should look like? Because hmm. like, yeah, I mean, like gore and well, I we don't have to get into that. Just <laughs> <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. Sure. Sure. I feel you. I feel you. Let me ask you this and then we'll wrap up. Aside from your new beliefs themselves, what would you say you learned from the experience of changing your mind? Um, I would say that, you know, I think we hold on to beliefs because of pride more than anything. Hmm. And like, I think I've learned that people change their minds I've changed my mind, um, not because like I've reached a different logical conclusion, but like it was really a change of heart. Hmm. It's like people go, I think, where their heart's at more Hmm. so than where their mind's at. I think we like a lot of us want to act or want to believe that like we follow logic more Hmm. so than anything, but, but that's that's really not the case. Like, I don't know. I just think the heart wins out at the end. Like if you, if you talk, you take any, you know, controversial debate or any, any debate topic, like if you want to be on one side of the argument, you can find the sources that will support your decision to be there and will affirm you. And it doesn't matter like what belief it is. Like, you can find people who will support you there. So like if, if your heart wants to go there, there's a place for you. So like, I mean, yeah, that's what I've learned. It's like, don't be deceived into thinking like, Oh, I'm just like a logic machine. I just go wherever the logic leads me. I'm just so rational. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like I, I follow my heart and like, I, I believe that that doesn't make something unreasonable for you to follow your heart. And, um, you know, I think there's a difference between like following your emotions and following your heart too. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah. Yeah, no, I feel that. Um, I don't know if you're much of a philosophy guy. I'm a big fan of David Hume, the 17th, no, 19th century Scottish philosopher. Um, his big thing is reason is the slave of the passions, right? That logic reason can get you from point a to point b but it can't tell you what point b you should be aiming for right um 
logic by itself is i mean it's just a, it's an it's an empty machine you know you got to slot some ideas in there before you before anything comes out of it um so yeah no i feel that um i have three final questions uh that i ask all my guests uh try to poke at these questions of ontology and epistemology how do we know truth and how do we know ourselves um first off mandala what is identity how do we know identity and how does everyone have an identity what do you think Yes, I would say that everyone does have an identity. And just to just to make sure I understand the question, you're asking, you know, how does how does an individual know his or her identity, right? Yeah, go with that. Yeah. Well, I mean, as a Catholic, I would believe that you find that identity through Christ. Mm. Like you you get in a relationship with Christ and he leads you to who you are. Truly, like we, we cannot make our own identities, but we have to find that through Jesus. Like Jesus mapped onto each of us is who we really are. It's like we have to put that filter on ourselves to find ourselves. That's good. I like that. Uh, second, what is human nature? Are we all the same deep down? Are we all different deep down? Are we all blank slates? What do you think? Or not blank slates. I think there's definitely things, things that are, you know, built into us that are, are put into us by the designer. Um, you know, there's, there's different uni human universals that exist on the planet, you know, marriage, um, clothing, for the most part, like, like, what, where does that come from? Like, there's, there's things about all humans that are true and, and um there, there's something that ties us all together um so yeah that there's there's a human nature and i don't know i'm, I'm not able to explain it in the most in-depth way but I, I believe that there is some kind of nature there and we're not just blank slates and able to you know define our own selves and define what our natures are uh, and finally, what is truth? Um, how do you know truth? How do you know when you found truth? What do you think? Yeah, that's a good question, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that, wow. Like, how do you know when you found truth? It's just kind of like a clicking that goes off in your head, right? I mean, like, sometimes you just stumble upon a truth and you just, you just know it's true. And I, I, it's hard to verify, right? Um, I I don't have a great answer to that question, Luke. Like it's <laughs> it's a tough one. Like yeah. you, because people's minds change. You think you have a truth, and then something happens in your life, and it changes the perception of the situation. Um, I mean, I think you can reach truth through prayer, through through Christ again through God. Um, and, um, yet, I mean, that's all that I'm comfortable saying and it's not much, <laughs> but <laughs> I'll have to go back to the drawing board with that. For sure. For sure. That's a place to start. Right. Um, so Mandela, thank you so much for coming on the show. 
Yeah, dude, no problem. I appreciate you having me. Absolute pleasure, man. Um, Listeners, the new album is called American Pope by Mandela. It is available on Spotify and I assume pretty much everywhere else, right? Yeah, that's true. You can find it on basically all the streaming platforms, YouTube. Um, My YouTube is Mandala Space Raps. Um, So, yeah. Is it Mandala? I've been saying Mandala this whole time, haven't I? It's all good, man. (laughs) People call me... People call me Mandela. Mandela. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, um, this has been Changed My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. You can email the show at changedmymindpod at gmail. You can find me on Twitter at Luke T. Harrington, um, or you can find the, the podcast online on Twitter at changedmindpod. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next time. I try not to be overly preachy on this show. (laughs) I know a lot of y'all are like, yeah, uh uh-huh, whatever you say, Luke. But it's true. Like, I try to present these monologues at the end as just, here's what I've been thinking about lately. Here's what I've been learning from the conversations I've been having. Um, But I really do keep thinking about this question of does the universe as it exists have inherent meaning, right? Not meaning we give to it, you know, but like real unchangeable meaning, right? I keep seeing this interview clip uh, with Pendulat. Um, it's one of those clips that just gets circulated and circulated around the internet in, in certain circles. Um, Pendulette, of course, is the famous magician, half of the duo Penn and Teller. Um, Really smart guy, really witty guy. Um, I disagree with him about almost everything. Um, He's a really outspoken libertarian, a really outspoken atheist. Um, And I I forget who the interviewer is, but he, he says to him, you know, a lot of people will ask you, um, you know, if there really is no God, then what's to stop us from doing as much murder and raping as we want, right? Um, and Pendulat gives him a very simple, straightforward answer. He says, I already do as much murder and raping as I want. The amount I want to do of murder and rape is zero. And <laughs> that's that's what I do. Um, you know, and then he goes on into the standard uh, spiel about how we don't need belief in God to be good or whatever, but I feel like he's leaving a very big question dangling there, which is what about the people who do want to do more than zero murder and raping, right? Like, obviously, there are people who want to murder and want to rape, or else murder and rape would not be things, right? And we can't just say to them, do as much murder and rape as you want, as long as it's zero, right? <laughs> like, I mean, we can definitely we can definitely say to those people, I would prefer that you not murder and rape me. But if there genuinely is no inherent meaning to the universe, then we can't say it's wrong 
for you to murder or rape me. Right? It All it comes down to is I would prefer not to live in a world where people murder and rape. And I don't think that that's an answer, <laughs> you know? Like, I would also prefer to live in a world where nobody listens to Nickelback, you know? I would also prefer to live in a world where nobody cares about NFL football. You know, like, where's the dividing line between personal preferences and moral pronouncements? Um, If there's no meaning or purpose to the universe, then there is nothing other than personal preferences, right? Um, I was reading on Jason Pargin's Substack the other day. Jason Pargin is, of course, one of my favorite authors. the author of the John Dies at the End series and also the Zoe Ash uh, series of novels. Um, and I really enjoy his substack. He was talking about a serial killer who I don't think I'd heard of before, Peter Curtin, um, known as the Vampire of Dusseldorf, apparently. I'm looking at the article right now. Um, anyway, apparently Peter, Peter Curtin derived sexual pleasure from murdering people, you know? Um, and Jason asks, Hey, if you, if you personally derive that much pleasure from murdering people, would you do it? He says, no, you'll likely reply because I'm not an evil piece of shit, but keep in mind, this is still Jason, not me. Keep in mind that the wrongness of the act is precisely what it made it exciting to him. If I gave you curtains, fetish, disorder, whatever, the more evil you regarded the act, the more intensely you'd want to do it, right? So ultimately, Pendulette's pronouncement of I don't rape and murder because I don't want to rape and murder is utterly useless because clearly there are people in the world like Peter Curtin who do want to rape and murder, you know? Um, And to say you know, just don't be a jerk to them. I mean, that's no answer at all, right? To say, hey, society has judged that act immoral is the exact opposite of what you would want to say to such a person. And fundamentally, I think that's what so many people find so compelling about the Joker. Just the pure nihilism of the guy. Like, if there is no purpose no meaning to what exists, then we can do whatever we want with it, including just create chaos, just watch the world burn for the sake of watching the world burn, you know, shoot a man in Reno just to watch him die. Um, And obviously most people disagree with that attitude or else a functioning society would not exist. But I don't think many people have really examined why they disagree with it. You know, is it entirely a genetic thing, right? Is just the average person not a sociopath, so society functions? And if so, you know, like, what happens when there's some, I don't know, weird mutation in the gene pool and suddenly, like, 80 to 90% of people are sociopaths? Like, can we say to those people, you're wrong? And what happens when there's no one left to say you're wrong? Like, is it still wrong? Is the morality still there? Is morality a thing that really exists? And if so, 
Where is it? Where do we find it? Anyway, that's it for this week. I really want to thank Mandala for coming on the show. I love his album. I would really encourage you to check it out. It's on Spotify. It's on SoundCloud. It's uh, all the places. Um, Just go to your favorite music streaming service and search for Mandala or search for American Pope. Uh, It's a great album. I wrote a little bit about it on my Substack. You can go check that out as well. If you do want to check out my Substack, you can find it at luketharrington.substack.com. That's where I've been putting pretty much everything I've been publishing lately. For anyone who doesn't know, Substack is basically a blog and also a newsletter all in one. You can read it there at the website, or you can sign up to receive my posts in your email inbox. And if you do sign up, you get automatic access to both of my published books for free. Uh, So that's Ophelia Alive, my horror novel, and Murder Bears, Moonshine, and Mayhem. Strange Stories from the Bible to Leave You Amused, Be Amused, and Hopefully Informed. That's my nonfiction book about the weird parts of the Christian and Jewish Bible. Um, Both multi-award-winning books. Don't ask me which awards because it will sound less impressive, but you can read them both for free by going to luketharrington.substack.com. If you like the show and you want to support it, the best thing you can do is go to patreon.com slash change my mind and sign up to be a monthly supporter. You can support the show for as little as $1 a month. If you sign up at $3 or $5, the benefits start to kick in. You get early access to episodes and you get VIP access to me and my producer, Blake. It's a little, uh, little zoom party we have every month. It's great. Check it out. That's patreon.com slash change my mind. If you don't have a dollar, if you just really can't afford $1 a month because I I don't know, you really need one extra Redbox rental a month or something. Is Redbox still a thing? I have no idea. Anyway, if you don't want to spend a dollar a month, you can help me out by going to Apple Podcasts and leaving a five-star review of the show. Just say, hey, five stars. Luke is great. He has the coolest guests, and he makes fun of Pendulette um, or something. That would be a big help as well. If you want to contact the show, please email us at changedmymindpod at gmail.com or tweet at us at changedmindpod. Changed My Mind is produced by Tamar Harrington. To be a producer, go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash changedmymind. Our executive producer is Blake Collier. Our editor is Jonathan Clausen. And we are presented by the Raven Creek Social Club. I'm Luke T. Harrington. Thank you for listening to Change My Mind. And please don't be afraid to change your mind. <laughs>